Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin Dad Pod. Today I'm sharing an interview with Burak, the creator of a new Bitcoin Layer 2 protocol called ARC. Barack has been doing a media tour explaining how this protocol works, and so I definitely suggest checking out other interviews and perspectives on his new proposal. At the same time, I think that we cover quite well why ARC is built the way it is, how it achieves trustlessness even though it's centrally managed, and why that means a constant on-chain footprint, but also how, if ARC achieves scale, that on-chain footprint is relatively tiny, or at least it might be. At the same time, this protocol is still a proposal. It hasn't been built yet, but I think it's a good time to investigate scaling technologies since we've had another bout of high fees. I hope you enjoy it. I guess I am sympathetic to that view. Oh, you you know, there's less to do with Bitcoin because it's more constrained. At the same time, what is the point of Ethereum? Because yes, you can build on it. Yes, you have a pretty expressive scripting language. At the same time, it just feels like because underneath we have this asset, like, you know, Vitalik is a major shareholder. Joe Lubin is a major shareholder. It's like you're building on top of this thing that looks kind of like a startup. And maybe they now have decentralized consensus and don't do rollbacks if they don't like where the chain state goes, but they did a rollback with the DAO. Am I stuck in the past or am I misunderstanding something? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I personally struggle to see and fail to see what a value proposition of Ethereum is really. I mean, I, I understand, right? It has utility. You can do all this crazy, you know, DeFi, you know, yield farming and marketplaces and all these fun use cases yeah on ethereum and that's what a value proposition is but i think it's overpriced i mean the ether the asset i mean and i understand ethereum the network the protocol the smart contract i mean the evm right value there but i don't see why ether is so valued just doesn't make any sense and when you're seeing this right people are not loyal to ethereum the protocol when they see better alternatives they switch to Solana, Polkadot, whatever. Or BRC20. Yeah, that too. I think Bitcoin, well, DeFi and all that, you know, NFTs, in fact, they all first started on Bitcoin, right, in the first place. And in fact, Vitalik, he wanted to start Ethereum on Bitcoin first. You remember the Opriturn Wars? You know, I wasn't in the Bitcoin space at the time. So I met Bitcoin around 2017, but um, apparently there was this wars. And I think at the time, Bitcoin devs, you know, core devs, Obviously, they were not in favor of it. And I didn't know Vitalik was involved in that because that was mostly a counterparty debate because counterparty was using malformed multisig to store arbitrary layer two data on Bitcoin. And then they started using the op return field. There was a bunch of other projects, yeah, tr trying to do op return stuff. But I think I remember, yeah, clearly it was Vitalik trying to do like Ethereum VM, like ar storing arbitrary data in, in, in op returns, which can later be evaluated on a second layer. So two thoughts. One, I think that the Ethereum value proposition is essentially laundry tokens. Because if you think that Ethereum is a utility chain, then the token that powers the utility, it's a laundry token. So if you think laundry tokens can appreciate in value, then buy Ethereum. But then when you describe sort of Vitalik and things that you can do on Ethereum, it makes me think that the Ethereum project kind of combined the pleasure of programming, creating scripts and stuff is like lots of fun, especially when it works. But also, if you combine that kind of fun activity with financial speculation, and it's also sort of like money, I mean, that's kind of a, a real dopamine hit if you're a developer, right? Yeah, I can see it. And I think Ethereum is probably mainly used for you know, money laundering and dark market use cases. And I, it, that we see that in Bitcoin too, right? In Bitcoin, in the Bitcoin industry, mining and coin joins are the two profitable business models. 
the two business models you can make profit in the Bitcoin industry, literally. So I think yeah, Ethereum is NFT marketplaces, all these crazy volumes, right? Trading volumes, probably for money laundering use cases. Well, I mean, it's just fake. Yeah, probably. Is it money laundering if you're just trying to hide your transactions on your speculative thing? Maybe, maybe it's just tax evasion, but money laundering just sounds so charged. Yeah, clearing, yeah, money clearing, like in any kind, right. of any kind, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin Dad Pod. Today, I am speaking with Burak, the Lightning Slayer, and the... Yes. <laughs> well, twice, the two-time <laughs> two Lightning Slayer. Yes. And this is actually our second interview. Our first interview was very wide-ranging and interesting, and it's been lost on the cutting room floor. And so this is going to be a double good <laughs> interview. Triple good. <laughs> Barack is going to discuss his proposed ARC protocol with us. I've been reading a lot about ARC and thinking about it, and I'm just going to throw a couple words out there to sort of constrain the discussion. My understanding is that ARC is a join pool protocol. A fundamental concept here is a shared UTXO, and it seems to have the potential use case of it could act as a privacy technology. It can act as a layer two transaction technology, because I believe many ARC transactions can be represented by a single batch transaction on chain. So it's almost like a roll up maybe. And then the last thing is it's non-custodial onboarding. Yes. Uh, so yeah, Arc is many things, right? So Arc, I designed Arc as a second layer scaling technology like Lightning. It is very similar to Lightning. It's a layer two, just like Lightning. It moves Bitcoin, just like Lightning. It's a network, I mean, liquidity network, just like Lightning. And Arc can replace Lightning as a user, like user preferred sort of interface. Like, I mean, Arc is not a competitor to Lightning, the broader protocol itself, but it's a competitor to LSP model. LSPs who provide Lightning services, right, to their users. And that's what my main objection has been, like the Lightning UX overall end user experience on Lightning sucks. Yes, Arc is a replacement for that. But Arc is not a replacement for Lightning for vendor use cases for accepting payments. An LSP, a lightning service provider, is essentially a person or business that maintains a well-running lightning node with adequate liquidity and will open channels to people, sometimes being compensated for providing that liquidity. And the critique I'm hearing is that the LSP model sort of centralizes lightning around businesses. It's like a hub and spoke model. So you have these businesses that sort of run the lightning network. And I'm also hearing that because it's actually hard to receive a lightning payment if you don't have any Bitcoin, a lot of lightning onboarding is going on via custodial lightning wallets, which are being run by lightning service providers. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, I think it's right. You know, lightning LSPs yeah, is a centralizing force and on the protocol. And I, I think it's not a bad thing. What matters is, in my opinion, is uh, trustlessness, like unilateral exit, being able to trustlessly exit. It's okay if it's centralized, semi, semi, I mean, it's centralization, what, what is it anyway? Like it is a spectrum. A protocol can be more centralized, like a middle ground or a cent uh, entirely centralized or entirely decent. I mean, decentralized, right? But um, what matters is trustlessness. Lightning is a trustless layer too. Trustlessness as in being able to unilaterally exit. And ARC is too. ARC is a trustless protocol too. It's a distinct layer too. You can trustlessly exit. It works with right? Service providers. There are service providers in the middle, hub and spoke, right? You connect, they facilitate your transactions, they provide liquidity for you, similar to LSPs, but it does a bit of a better job in terms of convenience, privacy, and all that. So LSPs, yes, they are centralized. They, they lead, I mean, LSP model leads to hub centralization on Lightning, yes. 
which is not a bad thing. I think rotting liquidity capital, right? It's a professional business and it should be taken care of by professionals, not random plebs. Because if you try to simplify the user experience so that any pleb can run a lightning node, then you risk kind of dumbing down the technology to the point where it doesn't scale or work very well, perhaps. Certainly. During the high-fee environment of the BRC20 and Ordinals craze, there is now an interest in layer twos and sidechains and scaling in general. And then you propose Arc, but I feel like Arc is not so much a scaling technology. It definitely provides some things that Lightning doesn't do. For instance, if you don't have any Bitcoin and I want to onboard you, you can open an Arc wallet and I can immediately send you Arc virtual TXOs. And you've just received them and it's atomic after the Arc service provider does something, you'll be able to withdraw them unilaterally. That's very cool. It's not like custodial Lightning. But that Arc service provider needs to do on-chain transactions. So it seems like Arc has a bigger on-chain footprint than your basic Lightning channel. Is that right? It's not right. It's the opposite. Lightning consumes more on-chain footprint than Arc because the problem with Lightning onboarding, right? Onboarding opening channels and closing channels. You have to open a lot of channels and you have to close a lot of channels and think of the global scale, the mainstream adaption scale. You have to open a lot of channels and you have to service providers in this case, they have to close unutilized channels very often, right? Or Arc is not that. Arc has no entry barrier to onboarding. It's not a state channel design. It's not a Lightning's a payment channel design. It's not a roll-up either. It is a different kind of design. It has footprint, just like Lightning, but it's very minimal in size. And because it's based on a shared UTXO model, the footprint is minimal. So on Lightning, if you're onboarding to Lightning, you have to open a channel, and that channel takes an on-chain transaction, like 500 bytes each. And when you run the numbers, assuming each human needs like four channels each, it takes 100 years, more than 100 years, to onboard the whole planet into Lightning, footprint-wise. So what I'm hearing is that if you think about scaling Lightning across all people who might use it, because every user might need multiple channels and Lightning service providers have to balance liquidity by opening and closing channels to make sure their liquidity is on the right side of the channel. That means that Lightning actually has a high on-chain footprint because there's all this necessary channel opening and closing activity. So comparing that to Arc, it seems that the Arc service needs to make an on-chain transaction, a commitment that updates the state of the current sort of internal Arc transfers so that internal Arc transfers can be atomically withdrawn because there's this commitment on-chain that kind of connects the VTXO to the withdrawal script on chain. Is that right? That's correct. So on Arc, we have this constant footprint. We have a constant footprint, right? Regardless number of the users, regardless number of the transactions in a period, you have a constant footprint. Uh, you have to transact a Bitcoin transaction in every five seconds. So you have constantly polluting on chain, but it's 500 bytes each. And you can, in theory, onboard the whole planet to it. Like you can, on Lightning, it takes 100 years to onboard the whole planet. On Arc, it could take days onboarding the whole planet, the entire population to Arc, Bitcoin in a self-custodial way would, could take, in theory, days. This means that if you're an Arc service provider, 
you need to make a transaction in every single Bitcoin block going forward, correct? Yes, that's correct. So that's a big commitment to be a ARC service provider, right? Like you've got to have a real runway. And what happens in a high fee environment when you miss a transaction? Like you miss a block. That's just like a coin join, right? You have a coin join in every Babisabi IE. It's like 20 minutes. Yes, you do a coin join. But in this ARC case, it's very minimal. I mean, coin join are large, right? Hundreds of inputs, hundreds of outputs. You're saying it's similar because coin join coordinators also make a transaction almost every block? Kind of, yeah. In every 20 minutes, like in every two blocks, yes. So they also make an on-chain transaction. ARC does too. But the, the ARC versus coin joins is very minimal. ARC, it has only like ARC coin join. It has one input and like one output. That's it. Like 150 bytes each, every five seconds. It's not of a big deal compared to coin joins and compared to channel openings. I don't understand when you say every five seconds. This is the internal arc coin join. Let me clarify on that. So we have like, um, obviously five is like uh, like an arbitrary number. The point I'm making here is like, it's a very, very frequent interval. So you have the service provider in the middle, arc service provider, right? They are the blended coordinator, right? They have a new coin join session. They open new sessions in every, say, five seconds. But this five second interval, it can adjust to fee market conditions conditions or it's manually configurable by the service provider, right? Uh, but it's very frequent, right? You have an, a new coin join session every five seconds, i.e. And if I'm a user, I want to make a payment or like an internal transfer, I join the next coin join session to make my payment. And I make a payment in a coin join. So the anonymity set is everyone who makes a payment, who involves in a payment. The reason that you're paying in a coin join, is this because the ARC VTXO set is publicly accessible? Yeah, it is publicly accessible, yes. Why does it have to be publicly accessible? I mean, it doesn't have to be publicly accessible, but if you are a, like a chain analysis company, you can sneak in, you can join a coin join session and extract the info anyway, like in the first place. It's more about don't be evil, can't be evil. I mean, service provider or anyone, any participant in a coin, of a coin join, they, they know of the content, right? VTXO content of that particular coin join. And that can be a coin join, like a analysis company too. My understanding is that coin joins do not give you privacy against the coin join coordinator. That's not correct. Blinded coordinators are blinded. They're blinded coordinators, literally blinded. They cannot tell coordinators anyone like any participant or the coordinator them i mean it's, it's itself like they that they don't they cannot link senders and recipients because it's based on blinded signatures perhaps there are some non-blinded versions of coin joins i'm not aware of any but coin joins in general are blinded like wabi sabi samurai yeah so you could have created an arc protocol without the internal vtxo coin join requirement and it just would have basically worked the same way except had no privacy, right? No, no, it's coin join, just like a coin join. You retain the same privacy proper properties of a coin join. Like what I'm saying is for an off-chain join pool protocol like ARC, do you need the internal VTXO coin join to make it work? Or is that an add-on to add privacy? Like, could you have done ARC without coin join? Yes, you can do it without a coin join. I, and in fact, I designed ARC as a second, I mean, scaling protocol, right? I, I designed ARC to scale Bitcoin transactions on a second layer, just like Lightning, but obviously with a, a, like a better convenience, you know, easy of use and all that. Privacy came as a by byproduct, to be honest. I thought, okay, we can do it. Let, let's do a coin join too. Let's combine ARC with a coin join. 
and make it effectively, it's, it is off-chain Wabi-Sabi, right? Arc is an off-chain Wabi-Sabi protocol. Okay, so this has been really good for me because you've answered, I think, most of my questions about Arc. But I think for a listener who might come into the middle of this conversation, it, it might feel like we started in the middle. Yes. So do you mind if I zoom out and we start very generally from scaling designs? How do we scale blockchains? I'd like to mention a scaling technology and hear your reaction to it, or maybe an introduction. And then we can settle on why you decided to build Arc based around a shared UTXO slash coin pool model. Sure, go ahead. We already mentioned Lightning. So explain a state channel, and obviously Lightning, if you don't mind. State channels in general, Lightning is one example of it. And I think state chain chains too. The broader category is state channels. So the idea is that you deposit some funds into a 2 of 2 and you sign a bunch of state updates from the 2 of 2. You have like perhaps millions of states, right? That can represent, right? That state, I mean, that two of two, you can withdraw from that two of two and only one of them can end up in a block, right? And if you broadcast an old state, like if some counterparty, like the two of two, right? It's you and your, some, your counterparty, you are collaborating, right? You're, you are signing a state in collaboration with your channel partner or counterparty. I think the visualization for non-technical people is like an abacus. And so you and I have a state channel and the, all the beads are on my side. And then I want to give you a bead or one Satoshi. So I slide a bead to your side. And then we have to collaborate to update the channel state. Because if we can't collaborate, then I have to close the channel and take all my beads home, right? Yeah. If you broadcast an old state, yeah, your channel partner can, can you know, penalize you, can take all your beads, basically. But the problem is, obviously, we are constrained by the number of beads. In the channel. And also the interactivity, we have to be online all the time. Yeah, I mean, interactivity is addressable, right? Because things like PTSCs, you know, like key send, basically key send offline. You can do offline, async receiving key send style, like without generating an invoice, without being online, you can receive on the go offline. The main problem is like today, we have HDLCs and like receive a payment, you need to create an invoice. And an invoice has a pre-image, like hash lock, and you need to be able to create a pre-image. And obviously, you cannot do it, right, when you're offline. You have to be online to create a pre-image. And that's what PTLCs sold. PTLCs, it, it doesn't, you don't have invoices, pre-images, nothing. It's just a public key, like a point on, on the curve. And that's all about it. But the main problem is, yeah, you still have to, still have to be online to sign for channel breaches because your, your channel partner might cheat you, right? So you have to still be online, right? At least once a day or ideally in a 24-7 basis, right? You have to be online to, to monitor Bitcoin for channel breaches. I mean, obviously, the third requirement is, I mean, overall, it is inbound liquidity, right? I mean, you have to, we are fundamentally constrained by liquidity in these channels. Lightning is a network of payment channels, and it's constrained by the liquidity bids, yeah, and in that abacus. If I'm received to, like, uh, one Bitcoin, I mean, say, 10 Bitcoin, and I have, like, t- eight bids on your end, I cannot receive because you can only forward eight bids. To my end. Right. And so the goal there is to somehow create maybe a multi-party state channel, because if there are more participants in that state channel, there's sort of more ways to route the beads. Is that yeah, the future? There's a trade-off there. There's No, it's not the future. There's a trade-off there. If at least, say, 100 parties, say 10 participants, right? I mean, typically Lightning Channels is two participants, right? It's me and my channel partner. In a multi-party setup, it's more than two. Three, four, five, 10, 20, up to you, really. Trade-off. <laughs> if at least one party is offline, you're wrecked because you cannot sign for each state update. So very easy to perform griefing attacks by simply responding slowly and kind of, yeah. And are there any state channels other 
than lightning? I have an idea. Has anyone built them? Okay, so there's no, we don't know if there's lightning on Monero or on Ethereum yet. I mean, yeah, there's state chains, obviously, but I, I personally don't know much about it, but it's also state channel design. Now, a scaling technology that we hear a lot about from the Ethereum space is rollups or ZK rollups. Can you just introduce this concept? Rollups it comes in two categories. You're optimistic and pessimistic. So an optimistic, so you're sort of, uh, you have like a central coordinator, very kind of similar to Lightning, but like in Lightning, you can have multiple on Arc, like multiple service providers. Like on the optimistic rollup, you have one coordinator, like a sequencer, and you are transacting with this sequencer, right? And the sequencer sort of like commits data, like data, literal data, like arbitrary data, obviously non-arbitrary data into blockchain in every block. So you are we're putting data into blockchain, but we're not doing any computation, just like inscriptions, right? We're only putting images, row of images, like data. We are baking data into blockchain, right? So the roll-up clients, can they pull this data from the underlying blockchain and validate that their state is correct? Yeah, exactly. They, they see the data, you read the bytes, you see the bytes, the data from blockchain, because it's in the blockchain, you're baking it into blockchain, right? Deep down in history. And, and when you run this Bitcoin, I mean, in, in the Ethereum case, the Ethereum client, you see the data, it's there, you're available, and you see, okay, if you can see if something's going on right on, on this data, that this data is a financial transaction data, but in a very compressed form, super compressed, i.e. an average transaction is like not more than 20 bytes. Because you can also aggregate signatures, you can aggregate public keys in like in, in four byte indexes and all that. So you're putting financial data into Bitcoin, I mean into blockchain, and it's very minimal in size, super compact, and you're only storing data. And nodes like second, like on, on the second layer, on the roll up layer, like uh, Damon's clients, you know, roll up optimistic. I'm talking about optimistic roll ups, obviously. They read the bytes and they can validate if if the state is correct, the data is correct. They are doing the computation, obviously. They are executing the VM, yes, based on the transactions. But the base layer itself, it's perfectly safe. Base layer is just, it's just storing data. Right. Base layer is not doing any computation. Now, what about sidechains? I think the most famous sidechain is the Liquid sidechain that was designed by Blockstream. And of course, this is not a trustless two-way peg. It is a one-way peg trusted exit sidechain. Yeah, sure. So obviously we have like two sidechains, like Liquid and Oriski. Like I, I'm not aware of a third option. Uh, Liquid is a multi-sig federated 11 out of 15 geographically distributed across the globe, right? We don't really know who they are. It's 11 out of multi-sig. You give your Bitcoin to that 11 out of multi-sig, right? Address. They take your Bitcoin and they credit your balance Bitcoin, like balance. They give you like a Liquid UTXO on the Liquid side. Uh, and you can do any any kind of arbitrary stuff like because on Liquid, we have also smart contracting primitives like Covenants. In fact, I built a, like a literal automated market maker in the past called Beatsmetrics. It's live on mainnet today. There are quite a few other projects building stuff on Liquid, like experimenting with Covenants and DeFi cases. So yeah, you give Bitcoin like real on-chain UTXO to 11 out of 15 multi-seek address. The Federation controls that address. This funds held in that address, yes. And they give you a cool you know, amount of Bitcoin Liquid Bitcoin on the Liquid side, and Liquid is obviously a fork of Bitcoin, so it's basically the same, plus some additional cool features and confidential transactions and additional scripting of codes, capabilities, and all that. So it gives you a Liquid UTXO. They take your Bitcoin UTXO and they give you a Liquid UTXO. And with this Liquid UTXO, you can do all that crazy stuff. And the fact that you get a Liquid UTXO, that's just a design choice. There's no requirement that Liquid even be a blockchain. 
it was designed that way to be sort of like Bitcoin, kind of a like I guess a test layer. But once you send Bitcoin into that multisig address on the Bitcoin blockchain, the liquid designer or the the owner of that multisig address, they can kind of give you whatever they want. They can design any system that sort of watches that multisig address, right? That's correct. Yeah, that's their design choice. That that's a part their design choice was in the first place. Yeah, they wanted to fork off Bitcoin, but they could have forked on Ethereum two or some other chain. Right? But obviously, Ethereum didn't exist. It wasn't ex- in, was inexistent at the time, I suppose, because it could have been there for like how many years? Six, seven, yeah, eight years, right? It's very old. Do you have any thoughts on Paul Stork's drive chain concept? Yeah, that's a good one, right? It's it's there is a bit of a controversy in the community. So drive chains kind of make sense because you know, I mean, you're giving your Bitcoin like in a side chain. I mean, obviously there is a risky to like it's like a merge mind, and but it's like only two. It only shares two or three percent of the hash rate, and you know, the hash rate escrows like drive chains are also similar, right? But it's different. Obviously, RSK and Liquid. They can steal your Bitcoin. They can take your Bitcoin. In the RSK case, miner can collude because it's only two and three hash rate percentage. On, on, on the liquid side, well, functionaries can collude, right? Well, on the drive chain side, it's miners. I mean, it is miners. You're giving your Bitcoin to miners, <laughs> right? You're putting your Bitcoin in an address that miners can withdraw from, but very slowly. Yeah, very slowly. And obviously, it's going to be obvious. And obviously, like, you're a miner, right? You connect to a mining pool. And if your mining pool is, like, colluding, stealing Bitcoin, it's going to be, it's obvious, right? And you can just plug off your mine ASIC and just, just switch onto another pool, right? Because ASICs, they all have equal voting power. Right. So yeah, it's going to be obvious, right? And they'll miners will switch off, right, uh, to non non cold. But the drive chain and the liquid side chain they achieve the same thing because I make one transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain, so I spend some fees. But the moment I get to that drive chain hash escrow address or the liquid multisig address, now my Bitcoin are magically on another layer with theoretically different fees, maybe lower fees, maybe. Other features like smart contracts on the liquid sidechain, and so I can happily live there and transact, and I'm not paying expensive Bitcoin main chain fees, and maybe I have more features. Does that make sense to you? Is that how Bitcoin scales? I have a neutral stance to be honest. Like I'm not saying it's good or bad. I think it's interesting. I really find it interesting, really. Uh, but I'm not picking a side. I think giving Bitcoin to miners might make sense. Miners can obviously steal it, but it's going to be obvious. So the trade-off might make sense, yes. But it requires a change to Bitcoin. That's one thing. Uh, but ARC2, right? It kind of requires a change Bitcoin to Bitcoin 2. Although we can build a, like a non-covenant version on Bitcoin today. Yeah, that and that was my last scaling design question, which is shared UTXO models, which I think covenants fall under. And so yeah. it looks yeah, like need- ARC is kind of inspired by Jeremy Rubin's CTV proposal. Like that seems to work very well with this ARC design. I, I did a covenant research and development for two years, right, on Liquid uh, while I'm working on this AMM project. So it took me two, year, two years to design and ship this right and obviously i've been i've been doing some lightning stuff i mean i've been exploring lightning for about a year now and that's what how arc started right i wanted to build a lightning world and all that and you know based on my covenants like research and experience like i i wanted to shift my focus to lightning and and scale lightning improve lightning the lightning ux i wanted to work on bitcoin only and that's how it all started and obviously i was on the pro ctv camp during the ctv drama times 
I'm pro covenants of any kind. Covenants are great. Uh, I'm in favor of recursive covenants too. I'm in fact, I'm in favor of, you know, elements opcodes, the generic covenant opcodes, modular covenant opcodes on Bitcoin. There, I think there are like two camps, like one camp in the Bitcoin space, like they are in favor of restrictive application specific opcodes and CTV falls into that category. It's restrictive, highly restrictive. And obviously they are they're restricting CTV to please the non-recursive covenant, like anti-recursive covenant camp. And there is the other camp, they are in favor of modular generic elements of because I think this is the blockstream sort of camp. Like we and, and I, I'm also in this camp, so to speak. Like uh, I want modular generic opcodes, like elements. You can introspect any any field in the transaction and you can do like 64-bit arithmetics and data manipulation, casting and all all kinds of cool. Yeah. And I'm on this sort of camp. Some people have some fears. I don't know, like they're fearing the recursive covenants because I don't know. The fear I've heard about recursive covenants, frankly, seems a little misplaced because the big scary story is what if the government makes Coinbase send all their Bitcoin into a recursive government contract and now the president's signing key has to be on every transaction. And so now we have completely state captured Bitcoin. Right. This is the classic, right? Classic thing I hear a lot. Right. And your point is, well, you can do that already with multi-sig. So why would they wait until there's a covenant? Yeah, it's not It's not only that. Also, of course, you can do multi-sig too. Uh, and in fact, multi-sig is more convenient for this. Why, why on earth you use a covenant for this, right? But um, covenants are entirely opt-in. If you're part of a covenant, you're already part of it. You're already opt-in. You're already aware that you're part of it. And you know, you know the consequences. But if you receive a Bitcoin from Coinbase, I mean, you receive a Bitcoin to to an address of your choice. And this address could be a single SIG address or multi-SIG address, a covenant address. You will entirely opt in. You literally opt in, in this to this covenant in the first place. And you can as well pick like a single SIG address, a non-covenant address. So you're saying because these systems are opt-in, it doesn't matter if you can create permanent encumbrances on the spending output because they chose to do this. You chose to do this. Personal responsibility, basically. Yeah, entirely. That was just fantastic because hearing your views on subjects like this is really valuable for non-specialists. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this, bringing this up. Yeah. There's some common misconceptions around this. Yeah. Happy to address them. You've been working on covenants for two years. You've been designing ARC for six months. So can we walk through how we might do some ARC transactions just to give people a sense of how this would work? Yeah, sure. You know, ARC is just, you know, like uh, it mimics the on-chain UX, just like your piece, just like how you use an on-chain wallet, you download a piece of software. Software gives you like a Bitcoin address. You can receive from this address. You can send to other. Yeah. So why don't you be the ARC service provider? I've downloaded the ARC wallet. And I have another Bitcoin wallet and I'm like, oh, you know, I'd like some virtual TXOs because I hear that fees are cheap on ARC and I want some privacy and I'd like to maybe onboard some people and not pay on chain fees. So I send a transaction and I guess because when I get my ARC wallet, because you're the ARC service provider, you just have the ARC service provider pub key in that wallet. So I can always send into like lift a UTXO into ARC, right? Using, you know, the software that you distribute. Yeah, there are two things, right? If you're onboarding the protocol first time, right? Uh, you have an on-chain address. This address is a TOF2. Uh, unlike Lightning, Lightning you cannot onboard to Lightning with an address, and but Arc you can. Like if you are onboarding the first time, right? Literally, you got an orange pill, i.e., and you have an address. You send this address to a friend, family. They can literally send on-chain funds to this on-chain Bitcoin address, and then when they send funds to this address, you lift 
that UTXO off the chain, right? This address is kind of a pig in address. Oh, okay. So all UTXOs that go to that address will end up on ARC. So we don't even need to send into the ARC wallet and then make another transaction. It's just one transaction. You send UTXOs to this address, they're going to go to ARC. Yeah, you're converting uh, on-chain UTXOs to virtual UTXOs by just simply just simply funding a Bitcoin address. And this is pick in. And obviously, if you know someone, a friend or family, you know, apparel service, like uh, they already have VTXOs, they can simply send VTXOs, right, without touching on-chain. And this is typically what's going to happen, right? And you only use pegging and address ideally in the onboarding bootstrapping phase. But ideally, you onboard to ARC so in a self-custodial way. You have an address, like a, like a public key, like an ARC address. I mean, you have like an ARC address plus an on-chain address. You can use the on-chain address to peg in, but you typically not, right? I've pegged in some Bitcoin to ARC. I've got these virtual TXOs in my ARC wallet, and you are the ARC service provider. And so I guess maybe you used to be just a lightning service provider, but because of that skill set and that amount of Bitcoin and liquidity you have, it kind of made sense for you to also be an ARC service provider. So you also offer peg in and peg out via lightning, right? Yes. So obviously ARC is interoperable with lightning, but if you're like, I think peg out, I mean, you can do peg out with lightning for sure, but uh, peg out, uh, I think in the ARC context, it's more about unilateral exit. Right. So actually the peg out would be a Bitcoin Bitcoin main chain layer one transaction, but I could cooperatively give you my VTXO and you could send a lightning transaction on my behalf, right? Precisely. Yeah. You can pay. I can pay God. I mean, I can make payments with lightning over lightning. Orc is like a distinct layer two. Yes. It's a coin join protocol, but it, it, you can pay lightning invoices and that's how we can pay out too. Okay. So now I have my ARC VTXOs and, you know, I go to my favorite darknet market and I buy some stuff and then I go and I buy a Bitcoin sticker and then I go and I pay for an Airbnb in Bitcoin and I'm doing all this stuff and I'm, and you know, everyone is accepting ARC and this is so cool. What's my privacy like? Am I nervous because I just spent to a darknet market and then I spent to an Airbnb? Like, is my ARC wallet very obviously mine and obviously associated with something that maybe some people don't like? ARC can be used for drug market use cases, dark market, I mean, uh, or can be used for, you know, regular payments, daily commerce stuff. You cannot tell. A service providers cannot tell, uh, really. Co- CoinJoin is a, it's an off-chain CoinJoin protocol, highly scalable, footprint minimal. And the anonymity set equals to payment volume. You cannot tell which is which, really. Okay. And then I, you know, I'm on a trip, but then I get home and that was a great trip. Arc was so useful because main chain fees are 25 sats per V-byte. But when I make Arc transactions, the service provider only charges me 0.1 sats per, per V-byte to sort of mimic the liquid model. I'm assuming it's going to be a pretty low fee. I'm very satisfied. But then I realized, you know, I've been traveling so much. I want to do a one month silent meditation and turn off my phone. And then I think, oh, you know what? With ARC, I actually have to have my phone on at least once a month to refresh my UTXOs. So now I'm just going to peg out. And so I I peg out of ARC. Now, I spent quite a few VTXOs. So let's say I pegged in one Bitcoin and I'm only going to peg out half a Bitcoin. That half a Bitcoin, is it going to be half of the original UTXO that I lifted to ARC or is it going to be a different UTXO? Oh yeah, it's going to be a different UTXO, certainly. If you're doing a unilateral exit instead of aligning, yeah, it's going to be a different UTXO. Holy moly. So we've swapped UTXOs now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you pick in, 
with your own UTXO, you pegged out from another UTXO yeah, to another UTXO. Yeah. Okay, so that seems magical. And the cost of that is that the ARC service provider needs to make a transaction in every block that updates the state of the ARC VTXO set so that users can peg out unilaterally using different UTXOs than they pegged in with. That's correct, sir. But I mean, ideally, you never peg out, right? I mean, that's what ARC is for, right? We ideally never touch the chain on chain, right? It should be ideally a, per- a person should never touch the chain. Right. It's almost like we could live inside the samurai coin join, right? And also make transactions yeah. in there. In- entirely in your, in, your, in your lifetime, yes. And the trade-off, what is the trade-off? Well, you need a centralized service provider who needs a lot of Bitcoin as liquidity. They also need a lot of Bitcoin to make on-chain fees every block forever. It's only 500 bytes, but I mean, right now it's 28 sats for, or 30 sats for V-bytes. So that's basically $6 a block or something like that, $5 a block. You know, I guess it'll add up, but if it scales to many people, then that seems pretty cheap. Yeah, that's correct. So it's a share you take someone, right? Uh, if the on-chain fees for that transaction are like $10, and if we have like thousands of participants, then each pays like 10 cents or I think one penny. I don't know. I'm, I'm not great with math, but um, it's a share you take someone on the transaction fees for that transaction are shared among the number of participants of that particular coin joint round. But the trade-offs, like in terms of trade-offs, so what, what are the trade-offs, guys? Or because it's kind of seems like mag- magic, right? I mean, it kind of check all the boxes. Maybe I'm biased. Like, Yeah, I mean, the trade-off is you need to be online at least once a month. I think that's maybe the trade-off. But that trade-off also goes to Lightning. It's not a trade-off versus Lightning. It's a trade-off right. versus on-chain. On-chain versus ARC trade-off, yes. Absolutely. You have to be online. But that's also, not, I think, it's not a trade-off at all. Because like if you... If you had a bot accident, or if you have like some in- inheritance-related issues, you can at least try to reach out to your service provider to for a refund. Right. This is not the case with Onchain. That's true. Or Lightning. That's true. I mean, the experience that I've had with Bitcoin service providers is actually they're you know they're pretty reasonable. They'll talk to you. But let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is. Fediman, because it almost seems like Arc kind of eats the lunch of things like Fediman, because Fediman gives you eCash inside the Fediman. So if you send Bitcoin into the Fediman, you get very private eCash. You can trade it within the Fediman, kind of like Arc. But a Fediman is custodial, and I guess the reason that Arc doesn't create eCash inside the protocol is because you need to be able to unilaterally withdraw. So you need to have UTXOs in the protocol that can kind of correspond to the UTXOs on chain, right? That's correct. Yes, they correspond to a one-on-one UTXO on chain. So do you think a world with Arc also has fediments? Because I don't necessarily see the advantage other than because the fediment is just a federated multisig, the fediment operator doesn't need to make on-chain transactions. Well, I mean, yeah, there's fediment, there's Arc. Uh, they are both interoperable with Lightning, right? You can use your fediment wallet to make internal eCash transfers. Uh, on Arc, you can do internal transfers too. On With Fediment, you can pay Lightning invoices. On Arc, you can pay Lightning invoices too or get paid from Lightning. Uh, they're very similar and conceptually very similar to, you know, in eCash, you have payment notes. On Arc, you have payment notes too. They're called VTXOs, but they're short-lived. Like, they expire after four weeks, so you have to spend them in this time frame. And they're about to expire. You send, you return your funds back to yourself to reset the timer. There are very, there are some similarities with Fediment, yeah. But obviously, the, the the main difference is Fediment is custodial, and Arc is not. Arc is a distinct layer too. 
And does that custodial nature of Fediment make it cheaper to operate and cheaper to use? Or is it just conceptually simpler? Uh, I don't think so, because I... No, not really. Orc is going to be as cheap as, as Fediment, really. Like, on Fediment, you pay routing fees. On Orc, you pay two. You also pay on-chain fees, but it's going to be minimal. You're thinking at a large, large mainstream adoption scale, like, imagine having, like, thousands of users transacting in every five seconds. In that case, it's going to be a fraction of penny, the on-chain fees you're paying. In that case, Orc is going to be as cheap as Fediment. Um, and as convenient as Fediment, too, because Orc offloads complexity, like this channel management complexity you have on Lightning. It offloads that managed liquidity management, channel management complexity to the service provider. So Orc gives you a superior, like, I think it's, I think Orc is like a 10x UX improvement over Lightning. Fediment, too. The difference is that the Fediment could be built today with current Bitcoin technology, but Arc wants a covenant update. So it wants CTV or some sort of covenant on the main chain that makes this shared UTXO model work really nicely, right? We can build Oregon Bitcoin today using NF and Multisig, but the trade-off there is uh, you have to be online. Just like how you self-host a Lightning Note, i.e. on your umbrella, you have to self-host an Arc Arc Note. Uh, You have to be online. But in that case, yeah, uh, if you are okay with being online, like running an uptime server in your home, well, we can build Argon Bitcoin today. It works perfectly fine. And the benefits are obviously inbound liquidity. You don't have to have any, th- like, you can receive without a second thought. You don't have any liquidity management issues. Also, privacy. You gain privacy too. Right. It's a coin join. Right. So, Arc today is kind of feature equivalent with Lightning, sort of, in that you do need a Arc node client to be online 24-7 to communicate with the Arc service provider. Yeah, that's correct. But I mean, obviously, obviously, a Fediment is great UX, right? Org is great UX. Uh, one is custodial, one is self-custodial, right? But uh, I don't know, maybe people just just use keep using Fediment. It's really hard to tell. People might, might, not, might just not care at all. Fediment might just work well for them. Right. You know, it's a federation. They might be just trusting the federation. Good for them. It's hard to know what people care about. I mean, blockchain.com is still a really big wallet. That's crazy to me. Yeah. We don't know what people's preferences are, you know, their motives are. We really don't know. Like, I think people are lazy, really. Like, some people don't really care about self-custody. I know we're we're like living in this tiny little Bitcoin bubble. Everyone cares about self-custody. I care too. I love I, lo- I love Bitcoiners. We all do care about self-custody. But it's just us, you know, this small tiny bubble. But probably most people don't, right? So they might just be fine using, keep using Volt of Satoshi, Fediments, and, you know, Bitcoin Beach Wallet, Strike, and all that. Right. They might not just care. It's, a, it's an assumption. It's a thesis. My thesis was that, okay, if we bring custodial grade UX to self-custody, well, people might switch over. But uh, I might be wrong on this thesis. But I'm very confident that Arc is a great piece of tech. It's a great piece of scaling tech and a privacy tech. So hopefully it will make Lightning UX seamless, frictionless, friction-free, removing the entry barrier for end users so that people might consider using it for daily commerce and in their daily life. Well, this really answered a lot of my questions because I didn't quite understand the model of thinking about Arc's on-chain footprint versus how current Lightning creates an on-chain footprint, you know, just, just because I haven't opened a, or closed a Lightning channel in a long time. 
it's really interesting as well because, you know, ARC could only be possible after all of your research into covenants and covenants seem to be a relatively new area of research. And so it's interesting to kind of see what can be designed once lightning is an understood thing, once check template verify and these sort of covenant proposals are an an understandable thing. It's pretty amazing that this is the result, this sort of trustless, but custodially driven layer two solution with great privacy. It's it's fascinating and very impressive. I mean, it doesn't exist yet, but it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, some, it's an idea. It's in the early phase, guys. Like uh, Lightning literally record like time log up codes and segwit to be to become a thing really in the first place and well arc doesn't require that i mean we can build arc on bitcoin today we'll see i think i think uh it's really worth it i think covenants uh, people there are more and more use they're, they're they're just more than one use i mean more use cases right to covenants it's not that it's just an, an arc right there are more to it non-interactive channels and state chains and and in fact i think like um uh, straight ascrofs too maybe you can probably do like drag chains with ctvt i think i have to think about it but uh could be uh so they, yeah they're just more than one use case right for for uh, there, there are dozens of use cases right for covenants so i think it's it's probably worth it anything that you want to point people to like bitmatrix or do you have a, a blog where you write your ideas how can people kind of keep in touch with the mind of the lightning slayer yeah sure so i have a blog it's a medium blog blocks.blog Brox.block. I put some articles, I think, every month, more or less. Also, we have a website, uh, arcpill.me, if you're interested in learning more about Arc. We have a Telegram community group. If you have any any specific questions, feel free to ask, join our group. We have a repo on GitHub, but um, it's only for specifications. Barack, thank you so much for taking the time to explain this protocol proposal. It sounds really interesting. And having heard it from you, it seems quite understandable. Previously, I didn't understand why CoinJoin, why on-chain footprint. But now it's clear that those are, there's a privacy nice to have, but also an on-chain footprint is required for this to be a trustless protocol. So thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing further developments with ARC. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Looking forward to the next one. 